You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. All right. Take your Bibles this morning. Open to the book of Exodus, chapter 19. And I've got a lot to get through, and so I'm going to try to do this in such a way that it makes sense and that it connects. And so just pray for me right now that it does. So... Exodus 19, um, it's really kind of a two-fold message this morning. I, I, um, I want to talk about the presence of God and the absolute necessity for the presence of God. But I want to talk about what keeps us oftentimes from walking in and experiencing the ongoing presence of God. We know that it's not him. I heard Dave talking about it this morning. He never runs from us. Never. That has never been true throughout Scripture. We think that sin somehow made God turn away and run. Well, Andrew, what about that passage in Isaiah? Your sins have separated you from... Okay, read it. Your sins have separated who? You. Didn't separate God. The minute we walked away from God, he was chasing us down. And it's always been that way. He's still chasing us down. Surely goodness and mercy, the hounds of heaven, (laughs) will follow me all the days of my life. Sorry, too bad. Goodness and mercy are chasing you till they catch you. So what keeps us from walking and living in the ongoing awareness of the presence of God is usually a mindset about God that is inconsistent. Dave talked about it this morning. It was so beautiful. He didn't even know where I was going, but he was talking about his relationship with his dad and how his love was predicated on him behaving correctly. I know I'm paraphrasing, but um, now that you you come around, we grow up and we reconnect and we find uh, resolution to these kinds of things. But as much as anything else this morning, I want us to understand that the absolute presence of God, the thing that we need to live and sustain our lives on, is not a matter of trying to get it to happen or get him to come. It's a matter of us becoming more aware of him. So here we have this passage. I'm going to look at a few things in Exodus 19, and we're going to look at a a long history through Exodus 19, from chapters 19 all the way up to 33, I think. So let's start by doing this. Let's read Exodus chapter 19, and I'm going to read in verse 6. This is right as the people of Israel have come out of Egypt. They've come to Mount Sinai, which was the destination. God said, go to Mount Sinai. We're going to worship. And they get there, and this is what happens. In chapter 19 of Exodus, verse 6, here's God talking to Moses. And he says this, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Amen. Come on, is that a good word there? That's a very good word. I mean, think about this for a moment. The creator of the universe is coming to Moses to say, I want you to talk to all the people and tell them you're going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Isn't that wonderful? Now we know because of the work of Jesus that that all ultimately comes into its fulfillment because Peter tells us that. You're kings and priests under God. You are a holy nation, right? But here we have the people of Israel coming out of Egypt that have no context for God. And this is important for us this morning to remember this. We know the story because we're looking at it from this point in history looking back. So we have all the history between then and now to go on. So our understanding of God is way, way better than their understanding of God. Remember, you're talking about a people who had, in their line, had a promise given to them through Abraham, but had lost it. 400 years in slavery. We're talking generations 
Ten generations wow. of people are gone now, and they don't even remember it. All they know is slavery. All they know is we work for somebody else, and we don't get anything out of it. So keep that in mind as we're, as we're talking about this. Here's God coming to Moses saying, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded them. Verse 8 is important here. Here's their response. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. Now, if he comes to you and says, I want to make you kings and priests, which we know we are now, but wouldn't you say, yeah, heck yeah, I want to get in on this, okay? But again, they have no concept of God. They have no understanding of who he is. They don't have, you know, sacrifices were culturally relevant, but they didn't have that instituted. There was no law. There's nothing happening yet. All they know is they've been delivered from Egypt, and this God that's wanting to make them kings and priests has just parted the river. Plagues have come. He's shown his mighty hand at work in their life, so they know there's something legit about this God. He's saying, I want you to be kings and priests. Okay, great. Let's be kings and priests. In other words, at the very beginning, God's intention, this is important, God's intention for his people was to make them kings and priests. What do kings and priests have? Priests have ultimate connection with God, right? It's direct intimacy. Priests actually represent God to the people. That's the context of it. If someone is a priest, and we still have that today in in some churches, but we have mainly in, well, in some churches we have that. We have the priest represents God to the people. So here God is saying, all of you, millions of you, I want to make you a representation of me into the earth with every other nation around you. Come on, is that awesome or what? I mean, you talk about hands selected by God to be kings and priests. Kings have authority, right? They have dominion. They have a domain that they rule. So this is what he is saying to them. Not only do I want to make you a representative of me to the world around you, I'm giving you a domain. Because kings without a domain aren't kings at all. But a king has a domain, and the domain is the fullness of the earth. He's wanting to fill the earth, multiply, and make his name great in the earth. His heart is for everyone to walk in full intimacy. Turn over now to Exodus chapter 20. We have, in the first part of Exodus 20, we have the giving of the Ten Commandments. Everybody's familiar with that. But look over at verse 18 and 19. Now, this is what's happening as I read this. Keep in mind that now they've seen God show up on the mountain. They've seen thunder, or seen lightning, heard thunder. The ground has been shaking, the smoke. All this stuff is happening. I don't know about you, but that might freak me out a little bit. Again, we'll get to heaven, get the Blu-ray. I am excited to see these things. I want to look back, well, what did that look like? But here we have that happening. Again, we know about it. We don't think too much of it, but they have no context for God. So they see all this happening, and all of a sudden they're getting scared. So this is what they reply to Moses with. Verse 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sounds of the trumpet, the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. God chose Israel for intimacy. Israel chose distance for safety. We do it all the time with God. We are still a people who want to do that. We would rather have somebody like a pastor like me stand up and tell us what God is saying rather than have the intimacy with him. But why? Because the intimacy is scary. It's scary. You're talking about a God who is like all-powerful, but his love for us is way beyond our comprehension. 
He chose Israel for intimacy, and that's what he's chosen mankind from the beginning. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. What was the point with Adam and Eve? It was to have intimacy, to, to be in communion with him. It's funny how in our humanity, we always think we have a better idea than he does. God, it would be much better if we did it this way. Right? Now think about this in a practical sense. How many of you in here are in need for finances? How many in here are, you're needing some kind of breakthrough in your own personal life somewhere, relationally or something, you're needing some kind of breakthrough? Why is it that we tend to communicate with God and tell him it would be best if you did it this way, God? <laughs> right? Now we may, we may not say those words exactly, right? But in our minds when we're praying, we're praying for something to happen this way. Please tell me I'm not the only one. Okay. <laughs> This is what we do. We pray and say, God, this is, we, in other words, we have a better idea than God does. And he's not asking us on this side of the, of the new covenant, he's not asking us to know everything. He's asking us to, to trust him and have faith, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Anything that is not of faith is sin. Dave said it this morning. It kind of freaks people out sometimes. He said he's not worried about your sin anymore. He's not. He's not. He paid for it. It doesn't mean sin is still, is okay, it still has consequences, but the consequences it carries are the sin itself. It carries its own disconnect. If I walk in sin, I'm walking in, the, by definition, the word sin means to miss the mark. So that means I'm walking in something other than him. So sin matters. It has consequences, but he's not interested in that anymore. He's more interested in life. He's more interested in trust. He's more interested in faith. Are you going to believe what I'm saying to you? So here we have the people. They see God up on the mountain, all that's happening with Moses. They actually fear that the dude's dying, and they find out that he's not. He comes back down, but they're so freaked out and say, you talk to God for us. I don't dig this business. This whole lightning, thunder, trumpets. Where are the trumpets coming from? You didn't go up there with a trumpet. Where are those things coming from? You know, it's all this weird things that are happening up on this mountain. People, it's, it's in our human nature. We want principles over presence. That's what we want. We want principles over presence. I like what Bill Johnson says about it. He says, principles are like the guardrails on a ship. They'll keep you from falling off, but they won't move you through the ocean. Right? It's like the seat belts and the airbags in your car. They'll keep you safe, but they won't give you life, and they certainly won't drive you down the road. They have a purpose. Principles have a purpose, but we aren't principle-driven people. We are presence-driven people. And hopefully, we're not even driven in the first place. Hopefully, we're led. So here we have verse 21 says, so the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Now, this is where I want to break this down a little bit more, more this morning, and this is where it gets into how we as a people find ourselves not walking in the full presence of God, but it's not on his part. It's not because he's absent. God came to the people of Israel at this point where we just read Exodus 19, and he's wanting to make a covenant with them. He's wanting to make a covenant and say, I want to make you all priests and kings. I want to make you rulers. I want to make you represent, representatives of mine in the world around me. And the people say, no, we have a better idea. Now, here's what's important. I'm starting to discover that in these ancient times, covenant was a very normal thing. Covenant was a very common normal thing. It would be like us writing contracts today. We have realtors in the room. Anybody ever bought a house or signed a contract, bought a car or anything? There's a contract you sign, right? And in the contract, it says one party will do this and another party will do this. Well, 
if we go back into this culture right here, there were different types of covenants. It wasn't just a blanket kind of covenant. The covenant God wanted to make with the people was called a grant covenant. And a grant covenant looks like this. It's me, say I'm the one who wants to come into grant covenant with someone. I would come to someone like Luke and I could say, look, okay, you don't have a car, you don't have a house, you don't have a job. I'm just going to make this real practical, okay? You don't have a wife, which is a good thing right now. Um, <laughs> you don't have all these things. What I'm going to do is I'm going to bring these things to you. I'm going to bring a grant covenant to you where I'm giving you all these things. And there's no obligation for you to do anything. All you have to do is believe it and receive it. That's a grant covenant, right? Now, do, would you say that you're the one getting the better end of the deal? Yes. Yes. This is, it, it's a, it breaks down at some point, but this is what God is doing with the people. He's coming to the people and saying, I'm going to make you guys everything, absolutely everything. But the people have a better idea. They don't want a grant covenant. They want what's called a, kins, a kinship covenant because that's what they're used to. A kinship covenant is different. It's more like the contracts we would have today where a kinship covenant would be, I come and say, I will do this part for you and you will do this part for me. And as long as we're in covenant with each other, everything's going to work out fine. Now, why would they do that? That's it right there. Slave mentality. Slave mentality always will look at the promises of God as a too good to be true. And we don't like it. Seriously, at the end of the day, we don't like it. We don't like it that somebody would come along and do absolutely everything for us. It's very difficult to receive it, isn't it? When someone comes and says, I want to do this and do absolutely everything, it's difficult to receive. So what are they doing? They're thinking like slaves. They're thinking like this is too good to be true. So they say, God, we don't want that. We're scared of you, number one. But we do want to be around you because we've seen what you do. You part waters, you do plagues, you do all this wonderful stuff. You make, you make all kinds of things happen. You got manna just appearing on the ground, quail, water coming out of rocks, all these miraculous things. So we want to be connected to you, but we don't want the intimacy and we don't want that kind of covenant. We don't want a grant covenant. We want what's called a kinship covenant with you. Grant covenants, oh, and by the way, it's the same covenant that Jesus made with us is a grant covenant? Come on. He didn't make a kinship covenant with us. The people tried to live for years under Mosaic law with a kinship covenant. Did it ever work? Why did Jesus have to come on the scene and say things like, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees? In other words, you wanted a kinship covenant, I'm going to give it to you. I think it's really interesting that they say, don't let God talk to us. You go talk to him and then come tell us what he says. Do you know that's the last time in the old covenant right there that you ever hear God audibly speak? That's the last time. Why? Because they didn't want that. They didn't want the audible voice of God to be heard. Come on, how many in here want to hear the audible voice of God? It's possible. It's absolutely possible. I've heard it before. You talk about getting your attention. I know, skeptics always say, well, Andrew, how do you prove that? I can't. <laughs> I can't. And I'm not going to argue it. A man with an experience in God is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. That's right. So here they are saying, we don't want grant covenant. We want kinship covenant. Now, turn over to Exodus chapter 33. Is everybody in the room still with me? 
I know this is a lot of teaching stuff this morning, but I will bring it to a point. <coughs> this is context for this. This is right after Moses is up on the mountain. He comes back down. Everybody's having an orgy, and that really is the word there. Some, some passages say that they were down there having a party, or they were down there having a good time. It wasn't. It was an orgy. That's the actual word there. They're down there, made the golden calf, made the image, and are doing their own thing. <coughs> now, God is absolutely, like, incensed at this. But you have to ask the question, why is God incensed at this? We can say things like we've known in church for a long time. Well, he hates sin. He can't have anything to do with sin. But that's not really true, is it? That's right. that's not really true. If, if it's true that God could have nothing to do with sin, then why did he become sin? That's right. Hello? Are you with me in the room? <coughs> There's a teaching that's run around in the church for years that says God can have nothing to do with sin. It's absolutely not true. That's right. He who knew no sin became sin. Was it God himself? Was Jesus God? No. Yes. yes. Jesus was God, yes. Good try. He had a 50-50 chance. It's all good. God and Jesus all the same. Jesus becomes sin. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the what? Righteousness of God in him. Grant covenant. Grant covenant. So here we have God really incensed at the people. But see, this is what happens when you have a kinship covenant. You, we've entered into a covenant that says, well, God says, I wanted to do all this for you, but you said no. You said you want to be a part of bringing things into this relationship. So now that we have this kinship covenant arrangement, I can't help it. I have to be like this. I have to act like this. Look at verse 30, chapter 33. Look at verse 1 through 3. Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt into the land which I have sworn to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Parasites and the Parasites. <laughs> Parasites. Is that what you call a person from Paris? Never mind. And the Hivites and the Jebusites. <clears throat> Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, and I will, for, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. In a kinship covenant, God was forced to be the punisher he never wanted to be. He had to be. Why? He didn't have a group of priests to represent himself to the nations around him. Is this making sense? It was his design to say, I want to bring my goodness and reveal it to all the world around me, but you're not choosing that. Now, there is a, now there's an obligation. Now I have an obligation to step in and do this. I have an obligation to wipe out all these people because of the covenant that we've made. He had to be the punisher when he didn't want to be the punisher, and he had to be an ally for fights that he never picked. You remember, remember how the glory of God would come on Moses so much? Remember, Moses ended up being the mediator. Remember, he was the one that was the, the priest, so to speak. Until we have in Leviticus, we have the priesthood that's established. <clears throat> Here we have Moses. He's the one communicating with God, and his face is glowing so much that he has to put a, a veil over it, right? Corinthians talks about that. In 2 Corinthians... I believe it's 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It talks about that. The law had glory, but the, 
but the spirit is so much more glorious. It makes even what the law had as glory, it makes it look like it had no glory at all. It's like nothing. Here's Moses walking around with this kind of glory all over his face. But since they decided for a kinship covenant, God has to hide himself. That's what the veil's all about. It's all about that, not him running from us, but this inability for them to comprehend, this inability for them to fully embrace what he's wanting to give to them. So he puts a veil over his face so he can hide. 1,300 years we have God hidden like this. 1,300 years. And it's not on his part. Is this all connecting this morning? It's not on his part. It's, it's God saying, I want to be with you, but because of what you've chosen, there is no full representation of me in the earth. And so there's 1,300 years we have of God being hidden. 2 Corinthians 3 says this wonderful news, though, for us, that the veil is removed in Christ. In other words, why, the difference, and why do we need to understand the difference between the grant covenant and the kinship covenant? Grant covenants come from God's heart. Kinship covenants come from man's heart. And it's our thoughts, it's our desires, it's the things that we think that we're supposed to have, the way God is supposed to work, that we start making deals with him, and it ends up restricting him from doing the very thing that he wants to do. Blake told a story a little while ago, his car, money in it, shouldn't have the money in it, whatever, it gets stolen. Now, you can start doing that, it was a great testimony, you can start going, spinning in circles, and going into a tailspin, and downward spiraling, all that kind of stuff, or, I know what it's like to have that happen, and I hate being ripped off more than anything else in this life. If something's going to really get my goat, it's going to get ripped off. When somebody rips me off, yeah. it'll really get my goat. But over, over the years, I've learned that even when things like that happen, and I've been ripped off to the th tune of thousands of dollars, to learn to be in a place of not going, God, I need you to give me this money back, and you know, I'm, I need you to put it in my mailbox. I need you to, those things are fine, but to really come to a place where you start saying, Wow, God, I can't believe you would let somebody take your money like that. <laughs> Anybody ever loan stuff out and it never comes back? Hopefully it wasn't me that did that to you. Hopefully it was. It's one thing to say, okay, God, I need to get this back, and I need you, your provider, and do all that stuff. That stuff's fine. It's fine, but it's one thing to know that we're really starting to line up with God and his heart when we can say things like, wow, God, it's all yours. It's all yours. I'm going to believe you. I'm going to trust you. Whatever I need, you're going to provide for me in the right time. You see the difference in that? There's a real faith in that, not a passivity. There's a real faith in that. Exodus 32. Back up a little bit here. Exodus verse 32 verse 12 and 14. Is that right? Did I write that down? I think I got the wrong words there. I wrote down the wrong. That's a really good passage, but it's not what I want right now. <laughs> Moses understood the importance of having God with them. When God went, no, we just read it actually. Um, he says, I will not go with you. Moses ultimately replies and says, listen, 
if you don't go with us, we ain't going. We ain't going. Now, for a people who like kinship covenants, that might be an okay thing. Because you're like, okay, I've seen he gets ticked off. I don't want to have anything to do with that. I'm going to just back away and separate myself. If that is our view of God, it's no wonder that we find ourselves walking away from him. If my view of God is someone that doesn't have love and goodness at his core for me and all of humanity, I will find myself walking away from him. Come on, are you with me this morning? If we find ourselves, if you find yourself drifting away from him, take it to the bank. It's how we view him. It's what we believe about him that causes that. It's what we believe about who he is that causes us to walk away. Because if we really believe that he was good to his core and all he had was good things to give, as the word says that he does, then what we would be doing would be running to him every moment. Let me put this into some practical terms here. Anybody in here ever sin? Good, 80%. I got some really good holy 20%ers here. What's the best thing you can do when you're right in the middle of it? So look for God. He's right there. He's right there in the very middle of what's going on. He's right there. And he's not there to condemn. He's there to say, come on, come back. Come back. You're getting ripped off here. Come on, come back. Come on, you ever thought about God like that? Sometimes we, we think about God as I do something wrong. Now I've really, I've ruined this relationship. So what we think, I don't know how we think this, somehow time's gonna solve this. Just enough time, you know, and everything will be better. He won't be mad anymore, and I come back. No, it doesn't work that way. Right in the middle of when we're finding ourselves doing the very wrong thing, is, that's the best time to stop right there and see him as the, the father. Remember the father who had the two sons? We call it the story of the prodigal son. It's not. It's the story of two sons. Yeah. We call it about the prodigal because we like to have stories around us where we do things wrong, and then God brings us back. The problem in that story was not about the one who ran away. It was the one who stayed. He was the one that had the problem. The one who, when we decide in the middle of what we're doing wrong to say, God, you're right here, I'm looking for you. He's standing there like you saw it in that parable right there where he's waiting. He sees his son coming from afar off. He's standing there the whole time. He's just waiting for him to turn around. And when he turns around, the father's heart just exudes all over him and says, yeah, put the ring on him, put sandals on him, put a robe on him. He was lost, but now he's found. Come on, is this good news? What keeps us from living like this is thinking in kinship covenant. Thinking that somehow the covenant that God has made with us requires me to do certain things. No, it doesn't. And you should be very glad about that. You should be very, very happy about that. How How many in here are happy that you didn't have to do anything for your salvation? Yes. Yeah. Let me bring it down into some practicals here. It's a rhetorical question. Did you get saved when you prayed or you believed? Or were you saved beforehand? I was saved beforehand. You were saved beforehand. You just came into the revelation of it. The good news is not a transaction. The good news is good news. The good news is not, if you do this, then God will do this. The good news is, this is what God has done for you. This is a grant covenant. This is Jesus coming along and saying, from the very beginning, I'm restoring what God's heart was. There's a reason why in Romans 5 that Adam is referred to as the first Adam, and Jesus in Romans 5 is is referred to as the last Adam. And it's important that we say the last Adam, not the second Adam. The second Adam would intimate there's another one to come, and there is not. There was the first Adam, and there was the last Adam. 
What Adam lost in the Garden of Eden, Jesus reclaimed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, not my will, but your will be done. And from that point on, walked through his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension, and said, guess what, people? I'm taking you with me. Whether you like it or not, I'm taking you with me. But see, this is offensive, isn't it? Because we still think with kinship covenant. We still think, well, there's got to be something that I've got to do. Yeah, it's called believe. That's what it is. You mean all I have to do is believe? Yeah. But trust me, church, this believing is an ongoing way of life. I don't believe him just to get out of hell and go into heaven. I believe him for the very breath that I have in me. I believe him that tomorrow everything really is going to be okay, even though it may not look like it's going to be okay. Hello? You with me? This is where the belief gets difficult. People can say, yeah, I believe Jesus. Really, do you believe he's going to do everything he says he's going to do tomorrow? Do you believe he's going to do the very thing that he's already told us in his word that he's going to do? There's still a lot of unbelief inside of me. Why do you think the one person said, I want to believe, help me in my unbelief? It's like, I know, I can trust you to some level here, but I also know down inside, I know myself well enough to know there's a lot of unbelief. I need help in that unbelief area. Come on. You ever worry about your kids? You ever worry about your financial future? Yeah. Come on. You ever worry when we do these treasure hunts and all that kind of stuff? Do you ever worry about if you're going to get rejected? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, if you do, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Can I just insert this right here? If I'm coming up to my brother here, and I don't know who he is, and I do know who he is, but if I don't know who he is, and I pray for healing in his body, or if I pray for him to get a revelation of Jesus, and I get rejected, did the kingdom still get out? It did. It's like I'm walking around with a Holy Spirit syringe everywhere I go, and every time I just engage with you, I gave you a shot. And the kingdom, come on, is this good news? The kingdom just got in you. Moses knew it. He understood it. He said, God, if you don't go with us, we aren't going. And he says, ultimately to God, he says, I want to see your glory. I, w- I want to see it. I want to see this fullness of who you are. I just discovered something re- recently. The word glory in the Hebrew, which is ruach, I just discovered that that word is kind of like in our English language. If I were to say the word check, that word check has multiple meanings, doesn't it? I mean, it's like a check I can write you. Check. It's like a check, like a check mark, or I'll check and see. It has multiple meanings. That word ruach in Hebrew is kind of like that. It's also synonymous and used what we would translate bliss. Isn't that beautiful? Moses, to God, I want to experience your bliss. I want to experience that kind of union. I want to experience that kind of oneness with you. Because Moses understood it. Moses got it. He knew that what God was offering was way superior, way far superior to what the people wanted. It was way inferior. He understood it. In Psalm 103, verse 7, Psalm 103 is a wonderful passage. We were singing it this morning. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Right? All this wonderful blessings, and they start to count the blessings of God. And about verse 7, this verse is thrown in there that is really awkward and weird. It says, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. 
He made known his ways to Moses, but his acts to the children of Israel. Hmm. Did the people of Israel see the, the sea part? They see the manna, the water coming from the rock, the snakes healing all the snakes, all the stuff. They saw all this stuff, right? All they saw was acts. What Moses saw was his ways. In other words, he knew what the heart behind it was. The people just saw that he can do these things. Hello, are you with me? I don't like it when people say to me, well, I know God can heal. Okay, so you know his acts. You don't know his ways. I believe God can heal. Yeah, well, why don't we move into, I believe he will heal. You know his acts, because you can read it in the book. I know his ways because I'm connected with him. Because I've chosen not to live under kinship covenant. I've chosen to live under grant covenant. The acts are called signs. We see those happen. But signs point to something, right? Does anybody ever drive to Tampa from here? Or drive to Daytona? You get on I-4, God bless you. <laughs> and you start driving, and you see a sign that says, Tampa, X miles. How many of you stop under that sign and go, I've arrived? <laughs> Nobody would do that, because you know that the sign points to something greater. The sign is there just to inform you. The acts of God are there just to inform you. When you get healed by God, it's to inform you of something more than that he just heals. He's revealing who his nature, his character is, his person. He's trying to bring us into an intimate, close connection with him. Why do you think God still does that today? Because people are still wanting to walk in a kinship covenant, not a grant covenant. I don't know what it looks like yet. I'm still trying to navigate my way through this, but I want to be the kind of person that understood like Moses understood, and I know I can because if he had that glory on him, the glory in the Holy Spirit is so much greater, so I have the ability. I'm wanting to see Romans 8 manifest in my life. The sons of God being revealed in the earth. Why? Because they understand his ways. They're not looking for in myself to try to make something happen so I can get into a relationship with God. I'm looking for that kind of connection with him where I'm watching him. Here, I put it to test, okay? I may be weird, but I put it to the test. A couple of weeks ago, I was driving back from Tampa to Tarpon Springs, and I had a trailer full of furniture and something in the bed of a truck, and it wasn't covered, and it started to to do one of those Florida downpours. And I was like, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. No, I didn't start rebuking the rain, because the rain is from God, right? I didn't start rebuking the rain. I just started talking to the rain. I started talking to it and saying, you know what? You are waiting. You're part of this entire creation. And it's wonderful what you do. You rain, you water the earth. But I'm starting to talk to you right now. And I'm saying to you that you are, the word tells me that you are waiting. All of creation is waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. And so you're waiting for somebody to step up and just talk to you. So I'm talking to you right now and I want you to make a hole. I want you to make a hole all the way down 54, down 275, and all the way up I-4 until I get to my house. I kid you not, guys, I, I am not exaggerating. I saw darkness go like this. And I drove, and I got a little mist, I mean, ever so slight mist on my windshield, but it stayed dry all the way. I think that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that kind of Noah's ways, not Noah's acts. I'm looking for that kind of grant covenant to walk with God that I can say to things, I can say to the earth, you want to listen to me. I don't have to command you. You're waiting, you're, you're groaning, the word says. You're groaning in anticipation. 
you're waiting for these kinds of things to happen. Maybe we ought to try that. There was a little, like I said, it misted a little bit. There was a little water on it. But I'm not going to sit there and discount what God was doing. When I'm driving, and I, could, I would look on my phone, I would look at the radar, I could see these clouds, and I'm driving right into the middle of it, and there's no way to get around it. And I'm saying, oh, come on, come on, you want to do this. Come on, you want to do this, don't you? Just move out of the way and let me drive through here. You can keep raining, just go do it somewhere else. I told you the story before about really trying to walk in this, and I held my little pool cleaner going around the pool, right? And I told it to move and go get the leaves. And all of a sudden, it turns around like, and they don't do that. They don't turn around. They need, they need a wall or something to redirect them. It turns around and goes right back and picks up the leaves at the bottom of the pool. That doesn't make me some super spiritual guru, guys. I just am dumb enough to believe that God, I can direct what goes on around me. Why is this important? This ongoing presence of God, this presence that Moses knew about, the presence that he's saying, if you're not going with this, I'll die without it, so I'm not going anywhere. If I have to live in the middle of this wilderness the rest of my life, it's fine with me because I know you're right here. But if you say you're not going, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Moses wanted more than just the acts. He wanted more than just the signs. He wanted what they pointed to. They point to something. Like I said, you don't drive towards Tampa and stop under the sign that says Tampa 25 miles away. You don't stop there. It's a sign. It's pointing to something. I don't want to stop at the miraculous. Hello? The miraculous is not my end all. The gifts of the Spirit that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 of prophecy, word of knowledge, the gift of faith, of tongues, of healing, and all that stuff, guys, that is not my end goal. Those are tools. Those things will ultimately come to an end. I want to know him so well that I see these things for what they are. They're acts, they're tools, they're signs, but there's something greater. I want to walk into this kind of stuff where I can start communicating with God, with everything around me. Is this weird? I hope this isn't weird. I mean, it's scriptural. It's biblical. To start talking to whatever's happening around us, not to rebuke it. Hello? Please, can we please in our cryptic, charismatic voodoo stuff, get over that stuff? That's right. We start rebuking everything that comes around us. We charismatic. We are crazy, weird people. <laughs> you walk past something and it gives you the heebie-jeebies and you start rebuking it. I rebuke that! I rebuke that! Get away from me! I rebuke that! That's evil! You have the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords inside of you. Do you really want to live in fear? I've heard stories of people, and I've experienced myself, where people will get so weirded out by being exposed to something occultic. Or I'm like, yeah, I'm not saying let's just go have a good time, play around in the occult. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am saying is, if I ever experience it, am I running from it? Heck no. I'm walking right into the middle of it. I got no reason to fear. Do you have any reason to fear the occult? No, absolutely not. Walk right into the middle of it. You got the presence of God with you. Hmm. Hello? You're with me still. Why is this important? This pursuit of the presence of God, why is this important? Because if we're not constantly shifting and paying attention to our thoughts and moving back into the awareness of the ever-present person of Jesus Christ who is inside me, he's put Holy Spirit inside of me, he's all over me, if my awareness is not on that, I will become complacent. I will start to think and act like the world thinks. And the world doesn't need that from me. 
We let sickness become the norm. We let sin creep in and it gets us off track. Here's a bad one. We let the presence of God be replaced by principles of the kingdom. Our pursuit of the presence of God is not, if I could draw a word picture for you a moment, it's not like God's here and we are running down this path trying to get to the presence of God. It's not that. The pursuit of the presence of God is an inward, conscious, thoughtful, intentional, thoughtful process of going, wait a second, everything that I'm doing, everything that I'm doing has you right in the middle of it. The word says in Colossians that in Christ, he created all things, all things were made by him, through him, for him, and in him all things exist. In other words, in him all things are held together, right? So I don't need to go somewhere else looking for God. I need to stop and recognize he's right here. He's right. I'm hoping this is helping this morning. Church, why, why do I get so passionate about this? Because I've been in the church my entire life, and I am really tired of Scripture being used because they see it as an act, not as a way. God can heal. Great, good for you. What are you going to do about it? Seriously. We say God can heal as we're putting out there some testimonial of, of our faith, but we don't ever do anything about it. Instead of saying, no, I know because of what I've seen here, because of his acts, it points to something greater. It's not that God can heal. He will, will heal. He will. But Andrew, what about those times when he doesn't? I don't know. I can't explain that. I refuse to build theologies on it, though. I refuse to build theologies on that. I am really quite okay with not knowing certain things. I'm really okay. The last thing we trade is intimacy for safety. How many of us like to play it safe and not risk it? I do. It's a lot easier. We went down there downtown Friday night, and I can feel the tension inside of me. I can feel my self-life going, oh, man, I could, I'd, there's a lot of things about me that would be, rather be doing something else. But you know what? All I do is I turn it for a moment and go, wait, I've seen you do things before, and I know when you do, it changes people's lives. And now I'm starting yeah. to get excited. Yeah. Right? Now I'm starting to get excited. And then our, all of a sudden, ease comes on. Just like, I'm not down there trying to close the deal. You know what I mean by that, right? Yes. For so long, the church has been going, going to places trying to get people to pray a prayer. Yeah. Find me that none in the Bible. <laughs> he's not after our compliance. He's after us. Yeah. That's what he's after. Amen. Church, do you want to be a people that do this? Do you want to be a people that understand what it means to be living in the constant, ongoing presence of God without having to go after and find it and make myself right and do certain things to get him to like me. I can't, this is the God that I'm finding in this scripture right here where he did a grant covenant through the person of Jesus. This is my body. This is my blood in the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. We do communion. Why do you think he told us to do this in remembrance? Because if we don't remember, we'll fall back into kinship covenant thinking. Oh, yeah, I need to do this thing. Even with the table, I've pointed this out before, but there is a superstitious voodoo that lives in the church concerning communion. And it says things like this. I've even heard it in churches. If you don't have your heart right, don't do communion. That's a lie. It's an absolute, if you've sinned, then don't come to the table of the Lord. No, bro, if you've sinned, you need to start running to the table. 
right now. If you run away from it, what you're essentially saying is kinship covenant. I want to do my part to clean myself up, then I'll come to you. Yeah, we'll keep trying that. The best thing to do is run straight to it. Run straight to it. That's why Paul writes and says, some of you guys have done this in an unworthy manner. And we've turned that passage into, well, you're not worthy to take it. Well, come on, when were you ever worthy? I mean, come on. When did you ever do anything that made yourself worthy? When he says you're doing it in an unworthy manner, he's referring to people who aren't giving it full faith. They're coming to it and they're eating and they're getting drunk and they're just going, yeah, man, let's have a few tacos here. Let's drink a few Sprites. Maybe have some mellow yellow and some ho-hos. They're not treating it with the power that it carries. They're, ta- they're doing it as some kind of extra meal. And he's saying you're doing it in an unworthy manner. And as a result, some of you guys have died because of it. Not because of God's judgment. They're not looking at it with full efficacy. They're not looking at it and saying, man, I take this right here. This is the body of Christ that is broken for me. This is his blood that is shed for me. And I'm forcing my mind to come back into remembrance of that thing right there, knowing that his blood cleanses. It, it took care of sin. It absolutely eradicated sin. So if I've got sin issues in my life, the thing that I should be doing is grabbing this thing and chugging it. Yeah. Everybody stand up with me here. Yes, Lord Jesus. We bless your name, Lord. Bless your name, Lord Jesus. Yeah, ministry teams, go ahead and make your way up here. We're going to have people up here at the end to pray for you. Um, listen, if anything else, if you just want to come, let somebody pray for you and agree with you that you're going to be not like the people of Israel who wanted kinship covenants, but like Moses who wanted the grant covenant, that you really believe that you want more than just his acts, you want to know his ways, that you really want to believe that everywhere you go can be and will be a perfect health zone, and everywhere you go, it's because you have the kingdom of God inside of you. Jesus said that, right? The kingdom's within you. Jesus even said of Holy Spirit, he's been with you, but he will be in you, right? Kingdom's in you, Holy Spirit's in you, Jesus is in you, You can't separate yourself from him. You can't divest yourself or divorce yourself from him. He's in you. Deal with it. One last thing. Colossians says that you were at enmity with God. Where? In your minds. You were at enmity with God in your minds. In other words, we've got to repent. We've got to change the way we think. Hold your hands out here. I'm going to... Lord, I'm praying, Holy Spirit, you're just, you're, you're so good. You're so easy. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you, right? He says, take on my yoke because my burden is easy. It's light. That words there really mean, literally mean it's well-fitting. It fits you perfectly because you're designed for it. Holy Spirit, I am declaring that we are a people who understand how to walk in grant covenant with you, that understand the full measure of you being poured out in us. You can't give anymore because you've given absolutely everything, that you're not holding back, that you're always present, and Lord, we can change the atmosphere of wherever we go. Wherever we go, we can change it. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Mm.
Lord, I'm praying here for this specifically. I'm praying for everyone in this room as you read the word, that you start reading it through grant covenant theology, not through kinship theology. That you believe that he's absolutely good. That everywhere we see God doing something because, and it looks like us that he's not doing anything good, it's because we demanded it of him. We demanded it of him. Yes, God. Yeah, Lord, I pray that. Lord, I pray that just really, your Holy Spirit, the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, the goodness of God that leads us to the changing of our minds about who he is, that would be so real to us that everything we read in Scripture would be seen with love, absolute love, that you love us beyond our our comprehension, Lord. So, Lord, we do. We want to be a people who, even as small as this church is, Lord, I want to see this city changed by this group of people. I want to see this. I want to see people in this city running to you because they got a glimpse of who you really are. You standing right there, fully ready, embracing, saying, "Yes, come to me, come to me, come to me." Mm, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Everybody say, "Amen, Amen." Thank you for listening to the Acts Two podcast. Love God, love people, and live life.